Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class. So welcome to our Catechism class. We're looking at Lord's Day 20, question 53. And we're still working our way through the Catechist teaching on the blessed third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we've already thought about the person of the Holy Spirit, and we've seen something of the work of the Holy Spirit. We've already learned that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to us, and that the Holy Spirit regenerates us, that he applies Christ's saving work to us as individuals. Now the Catechist goes further, and he teaches us that the Holy Spirit abides with us eternally. And that's what we're going to think about in this lesson. We look at how the Holy Spirit is our down payment of heaven, the earnest of our inheritance. And then before we finish this, very short set of segments on the Holy Spirit, we'll learn how we may obey the command to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And finally, we'll explore what the Scripture means by blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So let's remind ourselves of our question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's question 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, first he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me, to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So let's begin. The Holy Spirit is with us eternally. Let's read the Bible together. Let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 to verse 22. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we speak about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have been sealed, you have been marked with the sign of God, you have been stamped with his image. You will recognize that you are his by the fact that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. Now there are two things that we're taught about this blessing of God's sealing here in this text. We're taught that it's a down payment. And Thayer points out its meaning. Money which in purchases is given as a pledge or a down payment that the full amount will subsequently be paid. So the Amplified Bible expands the text. The security, deposit and guarantee of the fulfilment 
of God's promise, his promise. So God gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that his promise will be fulfilled. In Ephesians 1 and 14, Paul goes further. He talks about the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. There's the promise. God will one day bring us safely to heaven to be with him, to be with Christ. That is his covenanted promise, and he will never break it. In fact, in Jesus, all the promises of God are summed up, and in him are delivered to us. They are sure, and they are certain in Christ. They are yea, they are yes in Christ. All those great promises in the Bible fulfilled in Jesus. And having the Holy Spirit within us means that we have this down payment, this deposit of heaven, guaranteeing that one day we will be with him forever. This sealing of the Spirit is linked by Paul to the certainty of God's promises for us. So it's a down payment of heaven. And it's also having the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. He has appropriated and acknowledged us as his by putting his seal upon us and by giving us his Holy Spirit in our hearts. This is a clue to the extent of the promises of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, Paul writes, For by one Spirit are ye all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Every single Christian, born again believers in Christ, have been baptized into his body. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are sealed with the stamp of God at conversion. And that's a guarantee for every single believer that God will never break his promises. But in Christ, will bring them to fulfilment in glory for us. What a wonderful reality. God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, heaven already within us, awaiting the day of our final redemption. That makes me want to sing his praise. Let's join together and praise our wonderful Lord. In the words of Psalm 73, verse 23 to verse 26, Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee. Thou dost me hold by my right hand, and still upholdest me. Thou with thy counsel while I live, wilt me conduct and guide, and to thy glory afterward receive me to abide. Psalm 73, verse 23 to 26, and the tune is Wiltshire.
Now, Paul has spoken to the Ephesians about our sealing by the Spirit for all eternity, our guarantee that we will be in heaven when this life is over. But he also warns us that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In his own commentary on the Catechism, the principal author, Zacharias Ursinus, gives us some ideas about how we might live so that the Holy Spirit within us will not be grieved by our conduct. After all, in Ephesians 4 and verse 1 to 3, Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how can we do that practically? Here's what Ursinus suggests. First of all, by paying attention to the preaching of the Word of God. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Wouldn't it be good to make Psalm 119 verse 9 to 11 the prayer of our hearts before we begin to listen to the ministry of the word of God, that we would take heed to God's word, that we would seek the Lord with our whole hearts, that we would not stray from his commandments and precepts, that I would memorize the word, that I would not sin against the Lord in days when temptations come. So our first suggestion is that we ought to be attentive to the preaching of the word. Ursinus makes another suggestion, that we should seriously meditate upon our salvation and how it was obtained. It's good just to think about our redemption. It's good just to remember our own human sinfulness, our misery, the awful burden we carried, and to remind ourselves of the sacrifice of Christ at the cross, taking upon himself all of our sins, all of our iniquities, so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. And that's where the sacraments help us too. As continual signposts, baptism and the Lord's Supper, pointing us to Christ away from ourselves. And then by constant repentance. I sometimes hear Christians saying that they repented when they were saved and they have no need to do it again. And worse still, they seem to have been told that by their pastor. And yet Jesus tells us, when we pray, we're to say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. A daily prayer, both for sustenance and for forgiveness for the day. And of course, prayer itself. Prayer itself, a daily discipline of spending time in prayer with the Lord. The early Christians in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Of course, none of those things in themselves make us worthy of our salvation. None of us 
can earn a deeper walk with God by some religious works, but those simple disciplines will surely please the Lord and will help us, as Paul tells us, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Lastly, let's look at this issue of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because you'll probably have heard someone say that every sin can be forgiven except one, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Some charismatics will even use that phrase to quench any criticism of their accesses. So some new spirit-led worship practice or some vague failed prophecy or the latest fad when critiqued in the light of Scripture might provoke the, the response, Be careful, brother. You might be blaspheming against the Holy Ghost and you know there's no forgiveness for that. So we need to ask, what is this blasphemy against the Spirit? Now it's a phrase used by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees here and he says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. In that passage, the Pharisees had blasphemed against God. They'd blasphemed against his eternal Son by attributing his healing power to the work of the devil. They just said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. What a terrible blasphemy. And blasphemy is sin. And the wages of sin is death. And yet here's some amazing good news. Jesus tells them that like every other sin, blasphemy can be forgiven. The vilest of blasphemers can be in heaven. Not because God just simply overlooks that kind of foul language, but because he forgives it. Because at the cross, Jesus took out all of their vile calumnies and their filthy language upon himself. God's own sinless Son, he bore it in his own body, and God poured out his wrath upon sin on his Son. So at the fine, for our bad language, our blasphemy is paid, and we can be forgiven. In Matthew 12 and 31, Jesus sets the sin of blasphemy firmly in the context of his atoning work. For he says, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. What a wonderful salvation that is. We are all sinners, but every sin can be forgiven. And that includes sins committed by blasphemers. Jesus makes it clear that even blasphemy against himself, the Lord Jesus himself, can be forgiven at the cross. Matthew 12 and 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Except, he then adds, whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. There is one single sin that can never be forgiven, just one, and it is speaking against the Holy Spirit. Now, there are people who become really, really anxious about this. Pastors will tell of people coming to them really worried about their soul and asking, have I committed the unpardonable sin? 
and the answer to that must surely be a resounding no, for if they had committed that great sin, they wouldn't be concerned, they wouldn't be asking, the Holy Spirit wouldn't be leading them to seek after forgiveness. Now, here's the scenario envisaged here. Jesus has revealed himself to a person, maybe a scribe or a Pharisee, like in this passage, where over and over again, in many different ways, he has demonstrated himself to be the Son of God. He'd done mighty works of healing and miracles. So the Son of God is revealed to a blinded, careless sinner, as we have seen through the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw that in John 16, verse 7 to 11. We saw that it was the Holy Spirit who reveals Christ to us, as he has been doing in the physical sight of the scribes and Pharisees in that passage from Matthew's Gospel. But like those scribes and Pharisees, the sinner then rebels against the Holy Spirit work. He says, as the Pharisees do, that work is the devil's work. They've rejected the work of the Holy Spirit, and since it is only through the personal work of the Holy Spirit that someone can be saved, they can never experience forgiveness. So Jesus' words are a warning to every unrepentant sinner. The message is simple. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I think we need to sing again. This time from Psalm 95, verse 3 to 8. And the tune is Walther. The Lord is the great God, King over all gods. The earth's deepest places he holds in his hand. The heights of the mountains belong to the Lord. The oceans are his. And he formed the dry land. Come, let us bow humbly and worship the Lord. Let us kneel before him, our maker, in prayer. For we are his people, and he is our God. He shepherds and feeds us in his loving care. Today, if you hear and attend to his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the way. In Meribah's desert you quarreled with me. You tested my patience at Massa that day. Psalm 95, verse 3 to 8.
So we've learned in this lesson that the indwelling Spirit never leaves us, even at death, and that he is therefore our assurance of heaven. And then we learned about how we are to live as Christians, not grieving the Holy Spirit. And finally we learned that when the Holy Ghost reveals Christ to a sinner, it is folly to harden the heart and to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you would like to help to get the podcast better known, there's a really easy way that you can do that. Go onto your podcast app on your phone or your mobile device. Search for the Semper Reformata podcast. Subscribe to it. And if your podcast app allows you to, give it a five-star rating. And that will help others to find the podcast more easily. So thanks again for listening.